It is good to be with you this morning. Can I just uh, begin by saying, it is a great joy to be a shepherd in this flock. It is a great joy to know you. It's a great joy to be able to minister God's word to you. It's a, it's a privilege, and I, and I hope that you feel, I hope you feel that love uh, from me, because it's real. We come to Luke chapter 10, verses 17 to 24. Uh, we're in a series through the next part of Luke's gospel that talks about the way of discipleship. If sort of the theme of the book of Luke is the way of salvation, we come to this section, the travel narrative as it's called in the gospel of Luke, and we see here that the way of salvation is the way of discipleship. And we talked a couple weeks ago about how a disciple is someone who follows Jesus all the way. And we heard from Pastor Chris last week that, that a disciple is someone who is joined in Jesus' mission, this mission of proclaiming the kingdom of God. Uh, if you could put a, a title to this message or, or I, I think a heading uh, in, in the text, it should be something like, rejoice, the kingdom is here. Uh, that's what it should say. Uh, mine just says Jesus sends out the 72, which sort of sounds like mom sent you to the store to get some groceries. Uh, if you're reading through the, the, gospel, the, the text, sometimes the headers can sort of diminish what's really happening here. But this is a very, very high point uh, for a number of reasons in the gospel of Luke. Uh, rejoice the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. It's, it's hallelujah. Wow. Can you believe it's happening? This, if you could put this in a picture, this text is, is the, the moment where you jump up off the lounge and you put your hands in the air and you say, wow, did you see that? This is where you grab your friend by the arm and say, I, I, I can't believe what's happening. We're experiencing this right now. This is the thing where that's happening where you, you pick out your phone and you say, I, I got to record this. I got my, my camera. It's filming right now, right? I'm going to share this on social media in about 10 minutes, right? This is that moment in the gospel of Luke thus far. There's tremendous joy. Our church is often associated with joy. No, thank you. Someone was brave enough to say, no, they're not, right? When you think about church and you think about being a part of the kingdom, what do you think? You think old, you think tradition, you think, I need to say the words, I need to say them in the right time and in the right order. You think stuffy and you think stiff. There's nothing stuffy or stiff about what we're going to be looking at today. And some of you who've been in church for a while might need that reminder this morning that the kingdom of God is a place of joy for the disciples. If you're a disciple of Jesus, have joy in the kingdom of God. It is there. It's real. And it's now. There's a lot of excitement and enthusiasm in this text. I'm not going to be able to convey it or do it justice this morning, but I hope that through the Spirit of God, it leaps off the page for you. One commentator, Green, said that God is historically present in the ministry of Jesus, and so wherever he is active, the kingdom is being manifested. God is historically present in the ministry of Jesus. 
where Jesus is active, the kingdom of God is manifested. Christian, do you realize if you know the Lord, the spirit of Jesus indwells you, which means he is active, which means the kingdom of God is being manifested in your life and in this world. And it means that God is historically, perhaps better said, actually present. If that's not a reason to rejoice, I don't know what is. But let's pray as we seek God's help and we, as we come to his word. Father, would you bless us this morning that we might understand what is going on in this passage. Lord, would you speak to us through your Holy Spirit. May you calm and quiet our hearts that we would know what you have to say to us, your disciples. Would you bless us this morning? In your name we pray, amen. As we saw, disciples followed Jesus all the way. They announced Jesus' kingdom. And here we're going to see this morning, disciples have joy in God's kingdom. Yes, you get the kids' slides again. I'm still working on my timing. Uh, so be, be young at heart, and, and, and I, I think you'll, you'll appreciate that. Uh, disciples have joy in God's kingdom. Now, this joy, it's something we ought to be excited. Yeah, I know, you saw <laughs> the balloons, right? Uh, joy, this is something we should be excited about, happy about, jumping around, celebrating. Right, exuberant in the kingdom of God. And the reason is, is because God's kingdom is better than we can imagine. It's better. I don't know what you associate when you think about the kingdom of God, but it's better than you can ever really put your head around. We're gonna look at three reasons why that is this morning. As we ask, why is this kingdom better than imagined? We're gonna look at verses 17 to 20, and we're gonna see uh, it's better than we can imagine because in the kingdom we are given more than we deserve. In verses 21 to 22, we're gonna see that the kingdom of God is better than we can imagine because in the kingdom we learn to know God as Father. And we're gonna see that the kingdom is better than we can imagine because as verses 22 to 24 will show us, that we have actually seen the king in Jesus Christ. He has come. It's done. It's over. Look with me as we jump uh, into this first section where we see that disciples are given more than they deserve. As we come to the text, we read that the 72 return with joy, and they say, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Jesus sent them out to announce the kingdom of God. That was the message they were given. He didn't actually say that they were going to be casting out demons. This is sort of a bonus. They go out announcing the kingdom of God, and as they're proclaiming the message of Jesus, people are getting freed from their bondage to sin and Satan. They're being released from captivity to evil spirits. And the disciples look at this, they're like, whoa, we did not realize that this was in our tool bag. <laughs> And they're really, really excited. And so they come back to Jesus like, like the kid who runs up to the teacher and says, hey, 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 miss, miss, sir, sir, you won't believe it. Because of this thing that you taught me to do, I can actually do this. And that's sort of how they come back. They say, Lord, even the demons are submitting to us in your name. That's the key phrase, in your name. It's because of Jesus that evil has to flee. It's because of Jesus that the disciples have victory. 
Jesus answers this. He says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven, or literally, like lightning from heaven, I saw Satan falling. It's as if God gets his boot out and he says, see ya, out of here. This is really fascinating because in the book of Job, Satan appears in heaven. And Satan is in conversation with God. And Satan is bringing his accusations. And in fact, that's what the name Satan means. It means the accuser. But here Jesus says that he is sort of speaking prophetically. And, and, and uh, if, if you're a Bible scholar, you would use the term proleptically, meaning, meaning he's seeing a reality now that's going to carry on into the future. He sees Satan being cast down. Satan, who from the beginning, from in the garden, had opposed God. You'll recall the story of the first man and the first woman made in the image of God, dwelling with God in the Garden of Eden. God gave them everything that they needed, more than what they needed, actually. It was very good. And in this place, the certain serpent comes along. And the serpent says to Eve, did God really say you can't eat from any tree? Well, no, 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 no. Actually, no, it's, it's, it's just that one. And we can't eat from it and we can't touch it or else we die. Really? Satan's sowing the seeds of distrust. And you know the story. The woman is deceived and the man, and given the opportunity, chooses to go into rebellion with his wife, rejects the command of the Lord, and the consequence is the curse of death, the curse of separation from God. And God tells the man and the woman, you have to leave the garden. You cannot eat from the tree of life anymore. You will encounter death and your days will be numbered. And so they leave the garden, but God doesn't leave, send them away from the garden empty-handed. He sends them with a promise. And in that promise was a word of hope to the woman. He said, your seed, your offspring will crush the serpent's head. You remember that? Now, we know this side of the cross that that offspring is Jesus Christ. But here, Jesus, in, in, as, he's, as he's rejoicing and marveling at the, at the fall of Satan, the victory of God and his kingdom, he tells his disciples, he says, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. This is not about magical formulas. It's, it's, it's not about sort of setting up tests. You know, some ministers and preachers make a big business about, about sort of setting up snakes and seeing if you can walk on them. No, that's not what it's about. It's about a symbolic victory over, symbolic victory over Satan. And Jesus is saying the enemy's purposes will not prevail. Man, do we need to hear that. The enemy's purposes will not prevail. They will not harm you. Jesus says, I have given you this authority. And in giving them this authority, it points not just to their ability, but it points to their status as children of God. You see, the disciples are really excited because they can do something they didn't think they could do. But Jesus will go on to tell them that actually they should be more excited about the fact that the Spirit's 
Not that the spirits submit to them, but that their names are written in heaven. What a cool, what a cool picture. Jesus says that ability that you have, that power and that authority, the, the, the reason that the demons flee, Jesus says it's, it's not just being given power or being given authority. It's, it's more because you've been given a place. Because you've become a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Because you share in the spirit of God. And sharing in the spirit of God means that you belong to him, him and to his kingdom. And your name is in the book of life. Have you ever, have you ever experienced something great and then you, you realize it only happened because something even better was going on? The disciples come back amazed at their ability but Jesus reminds him, he says, no, 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 no. You only have this ability because you have a new identity. Because your names are written in the book of heaven. Because you're my child. This is more than they could ever hope for. Better than they could ever deserve. It's better than we could ever deserve. And it points to the fact that we are true heirs with Christ. The Spirit of God indwelling us means our names are written in the book of life in heaven. This is something that's carried throughout Scripture. This ought to give the disciples great joy. You know, everyone is looking for a place to belong to. If you rob somebody of their sense of belonging, they can't, they can't abide that very long. Think about the reason that you have the relationships you do. Think about the decisions that you make and, and the commitments that you keep. I would suggest if you, if you pulled at those threads a little bit, you'd realize that, that the reason you're doing those things is because you, you either have a sense of belonging or you desire a sense of belonging through those commitments. What a wonder that God would not just touch us up with a little bit of a superpower, <laughs> would not just sort of choose to manifest himself through us, but that God would say, I will include you and I will invite you into my kingdom. I'll adopt you as my child. That's what the Holy Spirit's called, the spirit of adoption, isn't it? You have a new father that you're not your own. And I love the way Rob opened his prayer. If you had a direct, direct line to the prime minister, the queen of England, would you use it? Most of us would probably say, well, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't because, because, you know, if I pick up the phone, they're going to say, who's this? But I love the way Tim Keller put it. He said, the only one who dares wake up the king in the middle of the night for a glass of water is a child, his child. You see, the disciples' participation in the mission signifies something greater. It's their status in the kingdom. Can I tell you, brothers and sisters, your entire Christian life needs to flow out of your new identity as a son or a daughter of the king. Absolutely everything. That's where you're going to know the joy. 
That's where you're going to be free from this performance mentality. That's where you're going to be able to rest. That's where you're going to be able to go when you fail, when you do the wrong thing, and you're struggling with guilt and shame. Do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you. It really means do not rejoice as much that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. I hope that you and I crave belonging more than we crave power. If we crave power from God or control from God, we will always give up. But if we crave belonging in the kingdom, like David would say, that I would just be a doorkeeper in your house. God, I don't care. Stick me at the back door and I'll be the watchman. That's fine for me as long as I can say that I belong there. If that's our heart and that's our mentality, oh, Christian, you will, you will walk faithfully with the Lord. You'll have joy. So we see that the disciples share God's spirit. That's the first reason they rejoice. The second reason they rejoice is because they can know God as their father. Now, I don't have time to unpack for you everything that's going on in verses 21 and 22, but I'm just going to tell you it's absolutely amazing. There ought to be a little flag in your Bible, a big star next to these verses. This is incredible. Uh, It's often referred to in scholarly circles as... Uh, a Johannine bolt out of the blue. (laughs) Meaning, Jesus here in Luke is speaking in ways that we're only used to seeing him speak in John. (laughs) Look with me. Here we're going to see there is joy in the kingdom for disciples because they can know God as their father. Verse 21, this is our memory verse. You can show up at nine o'clock next week and you can get some chalkies from us if you, if you uh, are able to, say, able to say the memory verse. It's a long one, but it's a good one. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. First of all, The disciples aren't the only ones who are excited. Jesus is excited. And the word full of joy, it doesn't really capture it. This is the highest level of enthusiasm or exuberance that you can communicate in the Greek language. It's not feeling a bit happy and content. Jesus reflected theologically and offered God a a bland petition or a, 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 a general thanksgiving. No, no, no. This is Jesus filled with a fire hydrant full of joy, cannot contain himself, and is expounding in direct praise to God on the spot through the power of the Spirit. We get a glimpse in this text, I'm getting goosebumps, we get a glimpse in this text of the fellowship and the joy within the Trinity, in the Father, the Spirit, and the Son. You see them all in this passage, and hear the Son exclaiming his praise of the Father. Jesus is excited. If your picture of Jesus is this 
man of sorrows, which, which he's described, but just this man of sorrows who's sort of trudging through the Judean wilderness, trudging through the countryside, making his way forlornly to the cross. You're missing the joy. You're missing the reality of how excited he is. So what is he praising God for? It's a double act. It's a hiding and it's a revealing. A concealing and an unveiling. Don't miss that. It's both. Because you've hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. Jesus is full of joy because he realizes there's something that is cosmically significant going on, that the whole fate of the universe and everything that has ever existed is shifting here in this moment. Jesus comprehends the significance of it, and he's praising God because he realizes that God has chosen to allow these little children to see. Children did not have much status in the ancient world. Definitely less status than we give them today, and, and, and I don't think we necessarily give them as much regard as what they should be given today. A child has no status. A child has very little skill. In fact, in, in Greco-Roman culture, slaves and children were treated the same until a child got to a certain age. Then they inherited the rights of being a son or daughter of the family. Children had very little status. And here, God of the universe is revealing, revealing his plan and his victory. Now you say, what are the children? He's probably referring to his disciples here. You see, they're not, they're not the who's who of Judaism. You got fishermen, you got tax collectors, you got, you got a zealot, you got, you got a ragtag group of people wandering around, left home and family, devoted simply to the teaching of this man, Jesus. But they get to see something significant. And he says, yes, Father, this is what you were pleased to do. This is why I really appreciate it and why I'd ask Linda to read from the message this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 to 31. This is what Paul's getting at. He's saying, God delights to humble the world by revealing his ways and his plans to the people that the world don't consider significant. This is who your God is. And so, this ought to give you joy because it means you don't have to get a certain degree. You, you don't have to matriculate from, from a Bible college or, 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 or from a course. You don't have to sit in a pew for, for a long period of time. No, the entrance to the kingdom of God is only big enough for people who will come like a child, which means that the six, seven, eight-year-old who you happen to bump into at church is coming to Jesus the exact same way that you are, and that is pleasing to God. Because he will have the glory and he will, he will reveal his goodness and his compassion. 
But it's not just God's sort of inverting of these things. It's also the revelation of his person. Jesus goes on to say, all things have been committed to me by my Father. That's Jesus' way of saying, hey, I'm the boss of everything. Uh, or as we sang this morning, who's the king of the jungle? Jesus, hoo-hoo, right? Uh, no one knows who the Son is except the Father. And no one knows who the Father is except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Now listen to this for a moment. I really like the way Green, uh, sorry, Carol puts this in his commentary. He says, the character of God and thus the character of Jesus as God's son is not public information. But knowledge that must be revealed. That is so true. You can go around and survey all your friends and family and you'll get a bunch of opinions about what God is like. But no one will have an accurate understanding unless what they articulate has been revealed to them by Jesus. Knowing God is not public information. You can learn things about the universe. You can learn things about God being powerful. But to truly know him, to know his heart and his ways, you must come through his son. You must see the father through what the son reveals. And notice the son has as his prerogative whom he will reveal the Father to. So go, study all you want. I'll never forget, I, I, I was given, uh, I worked as a graduate assistant for one of our professors at Trinity, and his specialty was religious pluralism. He's, he was a Christian man, but, but his discipline was engaging in uh, the relationship of other faiths to Christianity. And I'll never forget, he gave me an assignment one day. He said, Jonathan, I need you to go down to the Northwestern University Library, which was in Chicago, about 45 minutes away. I need you to go down. I need you to look up these uh, resources. It's in, the Buddhist, it's in the Buddhist archive section. He said, I can't get there. Can you go and can you just sort of read these things and summarize them for me? I said, okay, this will be interesting. So I march all the way down, Northwestern, a very prestigious university, has this great collection. I'm in the section on, on Buddhist studies and I find these really, really old books and I'm finding the relevant sections and I'm reading and I'm reading. It's like over an hour and I'm trying to read in to penetrate in, 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 into what these things are saying. There was a lot of words there. But let me tell you, there was not much coherence. Now, I realize I'm an outsider to that tradition. But to me, it just illustrated, you can think a lot of things about the way God is. You can create your version of what you think the deity would be like. But the revelation of the heart and character of God that comes through Jesus Christ is unique and particular to him. I want to show it to you grammatically. I think it's roughly about a hundred times that Jesus in the Gospels refers to God as Father. I want to say, I'm not going to get this exactly right, about 51 times he refers to God as my Father. And about 49, maybe 48 times 
he refers to God as your father when he's talking to the disciples. Do you know what he, is ne- what he never uses? He never says about God, our father. When he tells the disciples to pray, he says they, they're to say that, they're to address God as our father. But he is never speaking of the father with the disciples with an inclusive pronoun. Why is that? It is because the Son of God has a unique relationship to the Father. So Jesus cannot say about his relationship with the Father, my Father, it is the same as our relationship with the Father. Because he has a unique and a special place. And all of us who've been incorporated into the family of God are allowed to address God as our Father as well because... Because Jesus revealed him to us. This means that knowing God is is not the product of some epic quest or saga like the Greeks used to write about. It's not simply the distilling of all the empirical evidence that you might gather and that might mean make sense to your reasoning. The knowledge of God is revelation. It's the unveiling that is given to us through Jesus Christ. Think about that for a moment. It boggles the mind. People have studied this. If you pour through the other religions, you cannot find one where where the deity is disclosing himself in the way that Jesus Christ is disclosing God to us as a father. A father ought to be compassionate. Our God is compassionate. Our father ought to establish a household and a home God has done that. A father ought to provide and protect his, provide for and protect his children. God is doing that. And a father shares his inheritance with his children, and God is doing that. Do you see the reasons for joy? I encourage you, if you're here today or you're listening to this, and, and, and God is the big, scary, black cloud in the sky, and that's all he is to you, Keep listening to Jesus. Humble yourself and listen to what Jesus says about the Father. Yes, God is a consuming fire. He is holy and perfect. We could not stand in his presence. But God is also loving and good. And he cares for you. We'll see this in a couple weeks, but when Jesus does teach his disciples to pray, he tells them, by way of analogy, he said, you know, what, what father is going to give his child a scorpion when they ask for an egg? <laughs> or a snake when they ask for a fish? 
scorpions and snakes. Do you see that? Jesus is undoing the enemy's lies. He's telling that he's going to teach the disciples. He's going to say, you know, my father is not like the one that Satan suggests that he is. He's not going to double cross you. He's not going to give you something. No, in fact, he's going to give you his Holy Spirit. What a joy to know God as Father. Better than we could ever imagine. Because of this, disciples can trust God. Oh, I wish I could convey the freedom that comes when you finally learn to believe in God. I don't mean to acknowledge his existence. I mean when you can bring yourself and lay yourself and rest in God as your father. There's no joy like that. To know that I'm not pestering him, to know that I'm not bothering him, but to, but to know that he he receives me and that he will care for me. Yes, he may discipline me. Yes, he may put me through trials that I would grow and develop character and strength and that my faith would, would grow and persevere, but, but he will never do me dirty. <laughs> can you do that? Do you feel like you can just say, God, here's my life. I trust you with it. Can you? What would it look like if you did? Just dream with me for a moment. You know that God loves you in all the best ways that a father does. And that when you come into his presence, you can just be What would that conversation be like? Would you be groveling? No, you wouldn't be groveling. Oh, please, sir, please, sir, just, 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 just listen to me, please, please, please. No, you'd say, Dad, this is what I need. Say, Dad, I'm hurting. Say, Dad, I need a hug. Say, Dad, I just want you to be proud of me. And you'd hear him say, I love you. And I made you. And the music would cue. <laughs> that, was pretty, that was pretty good timing. <laughs> Must mean it's time to move on. The last reason the disciples are rejoicing here is because they have seen that God's king is here. They've seen it with their eyes. This is, again, that moment of realizing, like, whoa, something really incredible has happened, and, and, and I'm experiencing it. I'm, I'm living history right now. We already saw this verse. And then we come to verse 23, where Jesus turns to his disciples and said privately, might not be the best translation. It's not so much about whispering something to the disciples. It's more just about turning to them and acknowledging them specially. 
looking at the 12. Remember, the 72 have come back, and, and, and here he's, he's looking to the 12, and, and, and he's saying, blessed are you. Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. To be blessed means to have the favor of God upon you. God is smiling upon you, you 12, because you get to see what you're seeing right now. Now, we might say, what's so fancy? <laughs> what's going on here? What's going on is they are seeing proof that God kept his promise. As one commentator would put it, here on this day, Jesus, Jesus is announcing his D-Day invasion. <laughs> They're blessed because they also have the privilege of not seeing what others really wanted to see. I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it. To hear what you hear, but did not hear it. What were they seeing? They were seeing God in flesh. What were they hearing? They were hearing grace and truth from the mouth of God himself. They were hearing verbal utterance of the Spirit of God who, who brought order to creation through the command of the Son. This is what they're hearing and seeing. And all the prophets and all the kings, the Moseses and Elijahs and the Davids and, and, and all these, these people who walked with God, who, who had a close connection with him. All these ones who did that, they longed. They desperately yearned in their, in their spirit for the consolation that can only come with Emmanuel, with God with us. They yearned for it. And here are the disciples. And what are they experiencing? Emmanuel. God with us. And all that it meant, the defeat of God's enemies, the downfall of Satan, the, the, the assurance of the outcome that everything was going to work out. I'm a huge sports fan. This is like, this is like you're playing basketball and, and your team's getting just demolished and, and you've been on the bench the whole game and so finally the coach puts you in the game and you say, okay, yeah, I guess here I am. And it, and then out of the tunnel walks Michael Jordan or LeBron James. And, and you look, and he's wearing the same color you're wearing. And you say, you're putting me in the game with him? Like, whoa. <laughs> I mean, I know all those people that went before, they, they, they were pretty good players, but, but I get to play with this guy? I get, to, I get to be with him on the court? That's the sense that this is... This is a special moment. This is a sacred space. We rejoice as disciples because we live in God's kingdom now. We talk about this all the time, but we need to just keep bringing it back. God's kingdom is a now and a not yet reality. You have to hold both of those things together. 
It is a now and it is a not yet reality. The life that Jesus gives to his disciples is eternal life. It is to be enjoyed and experienced now. Spiritually, you've been reborn if you are a Christian. You are not what you were before. The old is gone and the new has come. But there is still this future hope. The ages which are overlapping right now will fully be eclipsed by the glory of God's kingdom, which is ever-expanding. So there's joy because they're, they're, they're seeing and living under the reign of God right now. I told you they're kid slides. <laughs> Who can see God's kingdom? Who can see it? You may recall this, this was Nebuchadnezzar's question. Not Nebuchadnezzar, Nicodemus, sorry. I thought N with a long name. <laughs> Nicodemus. This was Nicodemus's question when he went to Jesus at night. And he said, what must I do to see the kingdom of God? And Jesus, <laughs> I imagine, smiling. You don't know what you ask. <laughs> you must be born again. What? What? The Spirit of God must do a work in us. I want you to focus on this verse. And as you focus on this verse, I want you to see the joy of the Lord Jesus in being able to show to fallen men and women the heart of the Father. Realize this is what he came to do, to bring you back into relationship with God. Oh, may our view of heaven be so much greater than our comfort. May our view of heaven be, be a delight in knowing the living God. If you want to see the kingdom of God, we do need to come like a child. Because when we come like a child, we recognize that we need a place to belong. When we come like a child, we learn that God is someone to believe in, that we can trust him as a father. And ultimately, when we come as a child, we recognize that we have to bow before King Jesus. We drop all the pretense. Is that how you come to God? I pray you put aside all those other things this week. All your striving, lay it to the side and delight, embrace with both hands the delight of what Jesus has given you, the ability to know God and enjoy him forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we don't have to be smart to know you. But Lord, we do have to be humble and so often we take the bait of Satan or we walk in the ways of the flesh or we push out the knowledge of you and the truth that you would give us and we instead try to write our own path. Lord, would you forgive us when we've done this? And Lord, may you fill us with joy and peace through your Holy Spirit. 
Lord, I feel like the world doesn't get to see that, at least not very often. Oh, Lord, would you bring times of refreshing upon our souls? Would you renew us and strengthen us, overwhelm us, feed us till we want no more? Thank you, God, that you are good. We pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen.